Open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 23. It's our foundational scripture for the series we're in, Recalibrate. Or we, ad- we are readjusting what we think. Everybody say, why? Come on, everybody say, why? I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as he thinks in his heart, so is he. So whatever you're thinking on, that's what you're going to be. That's what you are. So we are taking this summer, 2016, and we are recalibrating what we think on. So our first week, we dealt with prosperity. Prosperity is the will of God for your life. We didn't just come up with that, even though it's a great thing. We didn't just decide it's a great thing and decide to follow it. The Bible says, brethren, above all things, I wish that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. That's 3 John 2. The Bible says he's made us the head and not the tail, blessed in the city and blessed in the field. Uh, The Bible says that he wants our storehouses to burst out. Uh, Literally, God never one time, never one time wanted something bad to happen to his children. So if you've ever had the thought that God doesn't want to bless you in the area of your finances, let's just reason together. Bible says, let us reason together. I'd say we just reason that God is right and move on, but let's reason together for a minute. If God did not want us to be blessed, there are two options. Number one, the option would be that God doesn't care. But the Bible says he cares so much that he knows how many hairs are on our head. The Bible says he knew us before we were formed in our mother's womb. The Bible says he knows the plans he has for us and they are for good and not evil. The Bible makes it very clear that God cares. The second option, if God does not want us to be blessed, would be that God wants us to be poor. When the reality is, is he said, brethren, above all things... I wish that you would prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. So we can't think that God doesn't care because we know he cares. We can't think that God wants us poor because he's made it clear that he wants us to be blessed in the city and blessed in the field. So we are recalibrating our thinking because whatever we think on, that's what we're going to be. We're recalibrating to put our believer, our thinker in the area of finances and say, no, God wants me blessed. Amen. 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 Number two. We, we taught on the idea of God wants you to be healthy. God doesn't make anybody sick. He does not make his children sick. He never has. He never will. Uh, in, in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we see three and a half years of Jesus' life at least. But we see three and a half years of Jesus' life. The Bible says Jesus is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Bible says that Jesus does nothing without his Father telling him to do it or he saw his Father do it. None of those things. So if you want to know what is God like, you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and you see what Jesus did while he was on earth and that is what the Lord is still doing today. So for three and a half years, he walked around healing people. He walked around setting people free and never one time, everybody say one time, Never one time did he ever make somebody sick. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If he was healing the sick then, he is healing the sick now in Jesus' name. Not only did he never make anybody sick, he never, uh, uh, anybody that came and asked him to be healed, he never turned them away. Never one time. 
And if you're a Bible scholar, uh, there was one woman, uh, the Bible says a Syrophoenician woman that came to him and he said, I'm not going to heal you yet. I can't heal you yet. Wait till the, the Israelites are healed first and then I'll heal you. But her faith, the Bible said, persuaded him and he healed even her. He never one time turned anybody away sick. Not once. Surely. Somebody say surely. Did y'all say surely or surely? I'm confused. Surely if God wanted somebody to be sick, he would have given us an example. Surely if God wanted somebody uh, to not be healed, he would have given us at least one example. So the area of our finances, the area of our health, the other is God does not want to condemn you. You've got some friends and family that you want to condemn, but God doesn't want to condemn them. You got some friends and family that you're not sure how they're going to get saved, but God says, I didn't send my son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It is his will that all would be saved. You say, well, what do you mean it's his will? If it's his will, it'll come to pass. Not necessarily. It's real quiet in the Rotary Club when you say stuff like that. That word will is the word want or desire, meaning God wants everybody to be saved. But Jesus makes it clear there's a day coming when there will be sheep on one side and goats on the other. There will be saved on one side and not saved on the other. He wants us to be saved, but we have to make the choice to believe. So the want, the desire of God doesn't always come to pass. You say, how do I know? Have you ever made a decision you know in hindsight God would not be pleased with? The idea of everything happens for a reason is one of the biggest lies that the world has perpetrated and put on the inside of the church. Number one, there's no scripture to back it up. Number two, the only close reference we can get is this. All things work together for good that love God and are called according to His purpose, but that doesn't mean that everything happened to you was good. Some things you just made a poor decision. You're reaping the rewards of your poor decision, which are adverse. And God can use that for good in the future because you love Him and you're called according to His purpose. But it does not mean every time you stubbed your toe, God's trying to teach you something. Sometimes you put, should have put shoes on before you walked in the rocks. Is today Wednesday? Feels like it. Across the board, though, the idea that God wants to condemn you is not true. He does not want to, on the exact opposite, he does not want to condemn you, but we, through our inaction when it comes to how we handle his son, will condemn ourselves if we do not believe with our heart unto righteousness and make confession unto salvation. Amen? Amen. So then we uh, also, last week, uh, the last segment of this series was uh, the fact that we are creating our world with our words. You will have what you say. Now, some some of you may be thinking, but I don't like what I said. Been there. You will have what you say. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and earth. God created. Genesis 1.1. God created. You're made in His likeness and His image. You're supposed to be creating. And in reality... You are. The next question would be, how 
The Bible says that God created the entire world in six days in the book of Genesis chapter number one. And it says he did it like this. And God said, let there be light. And God said, the reality is, is we are creating our own world, our environment with the words coming out of our mouth. Amen or oh me. So we've got to recalibrate. We have to shift. We have to get back on center. And say, well, if I'm creating my environment with my words, well, bless God, I'm going to begin to be very conscious about my words. I think that's a good idea too. But we begin to speak life. The Bible says that the power, everybody say power. Power Power of life and death is in your mouth. It's in your tongue. It's in your words. And you literally will eat the fruit thereof. So in your life, if you're walking around, I'll just give you a couple of examples so I don't preach the whole message again. But if you're walking around saying, I can't all the time, let me tell you something. Number one, you're right. Not because of your abilities or inabilities, but because you have spoken it into existence when the reality is you can take the same situation and say, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, and now you're right also. Because you, can, you will have what you say. And we are creating our whole world, our whole environment with our words. If you walk into your house and, and, and you say something like this to your kids, uh, you know what, you'd never get it right. Let me tell you something. You keep on talking like that and you'll, you'll find out that's what'll happen. But you walk in that house and those kids mess up again and you say, oh, that's not you, baby. I know you can do better than that. I'm proud of you. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. All of a sudden, they start believing what was spoken over them because you are creating the environment with your words. Y'all better clap or I'll preach all day on this. You're shaping your life. And here's the other thing. If you don't like it, I'm talking to you. If this hurts, I'm talking to you. I have a test that I do. We watch back our services. One of the tests that I have is I'm muted and I watch myself preach. And if I don't look happy, I think I didn't do well. I don't feel like I'm doing well right now. But there are truths in the Word of God that will pierce you. They will split you in half. And you have a choice to make when you hear it. I will either pursue the things of God or I will go haphazardly about life. But I'm not going to answer to God for giving some kind of a patty cake message when the Bible makes it clear. We are creating our atmosphere with our words. We ought to be speaking life. That was last week. Luke chapter 17. We're going to recalibrate. Luke chapter number 17, beginning in verse number 12. This is Jesus. He's walking with his disciples. He just got done giving them a powerful spiritual truth on uh, how, you know, we ought to serve God regardless of recognition. But then he comes in and he says this, verse 12, he entered into a certain village and there met him 10 men that were lepers which stood afar off. Anytime you see the number 10 in the Bible, it's always representative of a test. It's always representative of uh, some kind of a a test 
uh, that the people are fixing to go through or something. Ten always represents test. There were ten plagues uh, on Egypt that tested uh, the resolve of the Pharaoh before he finally let uh, the Israelites go. The Ten Commandments are a test to prove to me and you that we can't keep the law and we in fact do need a Savior who will come and bleed and die for us and defeat death, hell, and the grave by resurrecting on Easter Sunday morning. Uh, there were ten virgins that were keeping their, their, their lamps uh, uh, oiled for the, for the husbandmen that would come. Ten always represents a test. It always represents some a testing that's taking place. So literally, there's ten lepers and it's like testing what God can do or what God will do in the situation. But the Bible says that they were afar off. However, something shifts whenever they recognize Jesus. They were afar off and the Bible says that they lifted up their voices and said to Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Everybody say culture. Some things are cultural and some things are biblical. So in our life, uh, there are different cultural ways of talking. If you're where I'm from, you use the word ain't and heck and dern and all those other things. And you've never said, I've, well, un until now, I've never said you all in my life. It's just y'all. It's just the way it is. Culturally, uh, when I go up north especially, I remember when we were in uh, uh, New York City one time, Crystal and I took a vacation, we were in New York City, and, and everybody we met, they would say, oh, are you from uh, South Carolina or Texas? And I said, don't cuss at me again, I am not from South Carolina. <laughs> But there's, there's cultural differences. And sometimes we put like cultural things in a blanket or a box or, or painted with the same broad brush when in reality they are biblical. So uh, what you have to see is Jesus is walking into the city and he goes to the gate of the city and he looks and, and there's ten lepers that are far off. Now I don't know how they knew it was Jesus. I don't know if somebody said, man, Jesus is coming to town. He's been healing people. This guy walks on water. He raises people from the dead. He's just, he's a amazing, he's kind, and matter of fact, he even healed some lepers, and all of a sudden, these ten lepers hear that Jesus is coming to town, and Jesus will heal lepers, and the Bible says they lifted up their voice. Now, here's the thing, when the presence of God manifests in a situation, there should be a response from a believer that says, I recognize you, I appreciate you, and I am expecting something to change in my life. The disciples were very uh, uh, fortunate, if you will. They would call us fortunate. We call them fortunate because they walked around with Jesus. They would call us fortunate because we have the whole Bible to glean from, which they did not. But they walked around with Jesus, and everywhere the presence of Jesus went, something would change. Somebody would be healed. Somebody would be set free. Somebody who was dead would have their funeral canceled. Something would shift when Jesus showed up. So Jesus said, I want you to go to Jerusalem and wait until you've been endued with power, which is the Holy Spirit, or the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit is also called. So when the disciples had a picture of the Spirit of Christ, or the Holy Spirit, they pictured as if Jesus himself was going to show up and walk in the room, because when Jesus shows up and walked in the room, when he was around them, something changed. So the disciples in those days when the Holy Spirit would manifest himself like he did this morning where we all felt the presence of God in a very tangible way, their expectation went through the roof. They believed something was going to shift 
Something was going to change. But if you're so uh, uh, backwards in your thinking that you think that's just a cultural thing to respond to the presence of God, you will receive exactly what you're expecting, which is not very much. But if you will act like Bartimaeus, if you will act like the ten lepers, and when the Spirit of God begins to blow into a room, and you begin to, you begin to act like you recognize something's going to change now because the presence of God is here, now you are a candidate for the miraculous breaking loose in your life. Somebody give God a hand of praise before I run through this wall. When the Spirit of God shows up in a place it ought not be everybody sitting on their hands when the spirit of God shows up in a, it's not a cultural thing to magnify God no it's a supernatural thing where we get in line with heaven because there are angels that are around the throne 24 hours a day 7 days a week crying out holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty cultural versus biblical this is your first time to hear something like this. Read the Bible and follow it. But not, let's not get to the place where we discount what has gotten results from heaven. Because so many times we're so busy. We have so much to do. We go to the gym. Only so we can update our status on Facebook at the gym. Hashtag fit. Hashtag uh, hungry. Hashtag cheat day. Hashtag pizza. Hashtag brisket. Hashtag is it lunchtime anyway? We get so busy. And in here it's probably the easiest place to respond to the presence of God because... Literally, everybody on our worship team, everybody on our leadership, it is our culture as well as our desire to follow biblical uh, processes to literally respond to the hand of God and the move of God. But I'm talking about your house. I'm talking about your car. Have you ever been in an environment where you felt like, man, I feel like, I feel something, uh, my, my spirit man, my spirit woman is recognizing something and then something takes your attention and it just, it just, it's like, it's just like gone. Now God didn't leave you because he never leaves you nor does he forsake you. But there is something about the tangible manifestation of the presence of God. What I'm saying is when you're at home, and you are cooking your hamburger helper, bless God. And you are browning the meat. And you are sitting there and all of a sudden you remember amazing grace. And you're just humming, amazing grace, how sweet. And all of a sudden you sense the power of God. Don't you know people serve dead gods and they don't ever feel nothing? We serve a living God who makes himself known when we magnify him. You're just, you're just sitting there cooking amazing grace and all of a sudden the power of God manifests. You sit and you shake a little bit. You're like, I'm not even one of them shaking people. But you just shake a little bit because you feel something and your kids don't know what's going on. And you look at them and you say, sing with me, baby. I feel the presence of God in this place. You respond to the presence of God. He's a person. The Holy Spirit's not a thing or an it. 
He is a he, and he goes where he is invited, and he sits where he is magnified. In our life, we're, we're filled with just busyness. So I'm saying when you're you're finishing dinner, when you're driving in traffic and that song comes on and you're listening to Peace 107 and that song comes on that's played a hundred million times, but for some reason this time it's starting to hit something on the inside of you. I dare you to try to press into that situation and see what God will do in your life. But it comes from recognizing him. There was 10 lepers and he was afar off and somebody said, here comes Jesus. Who's Jesus? Well, he'll heal a leper. He'll, he'll heal a leper. Jesus, have mercy on me. All of a sudden, Jesus points his attention not to the ones who are ignoring him, but to the ones who lifted their voice. When he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourself to the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Number one, go show yourself to the priest. The priest at that time was the person who could pronounce over them that they actually had been healed. So when Jesus said that, he was saying, go prove that you are healed. So never be fearful of having uh, medical proof of you receiving a healing. There has been some uh, doctrine sneak into the body of Christ that all comes from a root of fear that tries to say that Christians should not be uh, should not see doctors and otherwise, uh, and that is that that could not be further from the truth. Uh, but the reality is, is Jesus Himself said, "Go and prove, go and prove that you're healed." So the Bible says, not that their uh, their spots fell off immediately. But the Bible says uh, that it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. In your life and my life, I'll be honest with you, I kind of wish that part wasn't in the Bible. I would rather pray and boom every time. I would rather pray and instantly every time. But here's the situation for every believer. When you're believing God for a miracle in your life, you are either going to receive your miracle instantly, eventually, or eternally, but ultimately you will have what God promises his believers. Our job is to believe. And to believe we receive when we pray. So they had a choice. They can either believe God that they're going to be, that they can go show themselves to the priest. Still got the spots. Still got the issues. But the Bible says it came to pass that as they went. You know, we don't walk by how we see. We don't walk by what we can put our eyes on. But we walk by faith. So in your life and my life, we get to the place where we have to believe God every step of the way and again just to testify in my life I've gotten a lot more miracles as I go or as I went than I have instantly has God done things instantly absolutely one quick example is this building around April May of last year we needed like three hundred thousand dollars to buy this building We had approximately none of that. (laughs) And it would have been awesome if somebody had walked in the door 
and been like, the Lord told me. They stroked the check and I'd have just magnified God. But for us, it didn't happen that way. It happened as we went. 50,000, 2,000, 60,000, 1,000, 20,000, 15,000, 12,000, 11,000. This is all over a matter of months. And I've got a calendar. I kept it. It's covered in oil because of the amount of times I prayed over it. Where I marked off every day. And I said, we need this much to be on track. We were never on track. <laughs> never. You know when the money came in? The final amount necessarily? 48 hours before we closed. Come on, give God a hand of praise. It was, it was like this. It was like step by step by step. As we went. God was doing the miraculous and I would dare to say that if you really look back over your life, you would look and as you have gone, God has been doing the miraculous in your life. Don't you remember how mean you used to be? Don't you remember how you just couldn't deal with so and so but now all of a sudden you're like, you know, they're not that bad. Yes, they are. You changed. As you went. The Apostle Paul would say it like this. You press towards the mark for the price of the high calling in Christ Jesus. But we've got to get to the place in God where we recognize that as they went means while they went through. God didn't call you to stay there, he calls you through it. The Bible says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. The Bible says that God led the Israelites through the Red Sea. The Bible says that God led the Israelites through the wilderness. The Bible says that God took Daniel through the lion's den. The Bible says God took Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego through the fiery furnace. In your life and my life, you can't look at where you are and think it's where you're going to be. It's just where you are today. I had a great message. I'm going to preach it next week if the Lord would allow me. But as I was going through my prayer and study, Saturdays for me are almost always the same. I'm a bit of, well, no. Most of you would think that I'm very boring if you saw my day-to-day. I stick to things. I'm rigid. I like to pray when I want to pray at the time I want to pray. It helps keep me focused. My Saturdays are extremely dull. I like to go over my notes, make sure I'm ready. I'm going over my notes yesterday and I felt the Spirit of the Lord nudge me in a different direction. So everything you've heard today is different than what I was planning on preaching. And it happened around verse 14. Jesus saw them and said unto them, Go show yourself to the priest. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And I'm happy about that. But five words jumped off the page. And it came to pass. And I thought, great. And it came to pass. And I thought, wonderful, Lord. What? And it came 
to pass. And it came to pass. And it came to leave. And it came not to stay. And it came to get out of your way. And it came to prove that He's the Alpha and the Omega. And it came to prove that He's the beginning and the end. And it came that He's the author and the finisher. It came to pass. It didn't come to stay. But as a Christian, so many times we look at our current condition and we consider it to be our eternal position when in reality the situation you're going through came for one reason and one reason only, to pass through. You watch any hurricane coming from the Gulf. And I rebuke them. I don't even care. I don't care what they name them. I went through Ike. I ain't with Ike either. I was in Houston and ripped our roof off. Anyway, the worst storm may leave a trail of destruction, but it always passes through. God did not allow something to happen to you as if it would be indefinite. Your season has an end. The Bible says it this way. Weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. If you're a king and you walk outside and you have your regal robe and your huge crown and it starts to rain, your crown will get wet, but you're still a king. Your current condition is not your eternal position. Whatever you're going through, it came to pass, not to stay. Stand to your feet, please.